Hello and welcome to another episode of Space Update. Coming up today's show, we'll be talking Starship SN9 and 10, NASA, and did we just get a call from Proxima Centauri? All this and more coming up. I'm your host Ryan, and join me today's... I'm Mikko, the host of Deep Drive Fridays. I'm another Space Nut. And let's get started, guys. Happy New Year, everyone. Hope you had a great Christmas and everything. Um, we're going to kick off with a story that just developed over D- December in the Christmas period. The JAXA returned samples from Hayabusa 2. Finally cracked open the uh, sample box and started looking, sifting through all the little uh, sample rocks and everything like that. Um, some of them were just up to about a, a centimetre in size. It's quite, uh, quite, quite surprising that. Yeah, those samples do sound quite big. Definitely quite a nice haul for JAXA. Yeah, they said that um, they got 50 times more than expected. Um, They wanted to collect 5.5 grams of asteroid dust was recovered from the actual asteroid Ryogu. But um, it's about quite considerably more. But um, when you you see the images, it's quite surprising how little they actually collected from there. But they're actually looking to collect less than that. 5.4 grams when you think about it. When you see the pictures, the pictures, it looks like a lot. But 5.4 grams isn't a lot. But then they only need a few grains to uh, break down and do all the science side on it, really. Yeah, I think the actual size of the capsules was maybe like... (laughs) A width of your finger. Yeah, yeah. And the actual return capsule was a, a, what, smaller than a shoebox with like a little metal plate with a parachute attached strapped to it, I think. <laughs> yeah. Piece of metal in the capsule is pretty interesting. Yeah, they seem to think it would be from like the ejector from when they uh, had a, a, some sort of harpoon that brought, chucked it down or stirred up the surface or something like that. So they're assuming it's just something from the spacecraft that's in the way it's collected the material and just ended up in there somehow, hopefully. <laughs> if not, it's just some uh, space debris that somehow got all the way out there or something, maybe something else. We never know. <laughs> yeah, most likely it's not aliens. And more interestingly, uh, Jim Berenstein uh, announced that uh, they're in, off the back of all this, they're increasing funding to JAXA from 120 million up to 500 million off the back of this um, and collaborating and sharing samples between NASA and JAXA for the Hayabusa samples, but also the OSIRIS-REx samples when all that gets back, which is quite a considerable amount when you think about it. It's almost like a 400% increase from 120 million up to 500 million funding. It's a hell of a lot considering it's a, another country's uh, space program, essentially. I mean, it shows Jax's intent to head towards the moon as part of the Artemis program, doesn't it? They're forming a really strong relationship with NASA and a step up in budget like that is the difference between not going to the moon and, and going to the moon, in my opinion. I feel it's a really strong indicator that Jacks are shooting towards the moon, what with them signing the Artemis Accords as well. Yeah, yeah. And off the back of that, I mean, Jim Berdersheim put a tweet out saying that it'd be critical to one from 120 to 500 and it'll increase Japan's important role in the Artemis program. But funnily enough, they're obviously replied thank you jim bernstein for the support japan will work with nasa and global partners to open together for the artemis era so they're fairly uh, active and want to get involved with uh, the artemis program and going back to the moon and we'll probably see more of these missions from the likes of hayabusa going to and from the moon maybe to areas we've never explored before yeah we need more asteroid missions more missions to maybe even comets Definitely. Um, I mean, off the back of this, you could think, would they send the 
a similar thing, the Hayabusa, to the likes of some other other moons, maybe further afar. Would the maybe trans try and land on one of uh, the moons and everything around yeah. Mars or something like that, rather than landing on the complications of landing on Mars, maybe land on and have Phobos or something like that that's orbiting around Mars. Yeah, Phobos would be great. A bit more trickier because it is smaller and everything, and uh, obviously probably, I think, slightly rotating and everything like that, but can't see it being a problem. Much easier to land on than Mars itself. Yeah, so like I say, there's lots, lots of developments going on in that, and uh, in the coming months we'll probably learn more and more, and then everyone eagerly looks forward to uh, the return of the Cyrus Rex. A bit of time before that one gets back but uh, again some great sample return missions coming up in the future and moving on to our next little news bit um, the international space station is now home to the world's first commercial airlock and both versions of the dragon module on the international space station the crew version and the cargo version and that's the uh, bishop uh, airlock the new uh, commercial ones considerably bigger than previous airlocks from what i remember I mean, I, I was excited when we saw the uh, Nano Rex Bishop's airlock uh, on on the back of a dragon in that trunk section. We got really good views, and I was really impressed at just how quickly that was installed to the space station. And hopefully, it's going to be our gateway to more science. Yeah, definitely, it will allow us to do quite a bit of more science. And speaking about dragons, I think there will be. A dragon capsule either crew or cargo for the next 14 months on the station, so there will be no dragonless time. Yeah, and the, I mean, the, the Bishop airlock, it's um, not as only is it the first of its kind, but it's also the la- largest scale piece of space hardware the company has actually constructed, nanoracks. Um, so there's a lot more exciting stuff to come from them. I imagine they might, whether they're involved with the gateway project i don't know or whether they're going to help develop the international space station more for commercial companies i mean we've we've seen plans to commercialize the space stations more uh, more, more and more as it's coming towards its end of life um you know th- there's commercial flights available if you've got the money i wouldn't necessarily say that you know for, for our sort of wage bracket of people we'll be going anytime soon but to know that there is going to be private citizens up there is quite exciting. Yeah, and I know we've previously covered this on Becoming Multiplanetary with Rich and Kage and everyone, um, so that would be a good episode if uh, anyone's interested more in space stations and future space stations. Definitely check that previous episode out on Becoming Multiplanetary. Um, really good episode, that one on space stations, if you want to dive into all that, um, that little world of space stations and everything. And uh, over the, well, probably November, December time, we've got another signal from Proxima Centauri. Um, investigations underway into an intriguing radio wave mission that appeared to have come from the direction of Proxima Centauri, uh, near a star to our sun. Um, it was a narrow beam of radio waves that was picked up during the 30 hours of observations by the Parkes Telescope in Australia. Um, that was back in the April and May last year that they actually picked it up, but it wasn't released later on that they uh, picked up these observations after a bit of uh, just research and making sure it was definitely legit before they let, let it all out. But um, analysis has been underway for some time and scientists have yet to identify a terrestrial culprit for it. Um, ground-based equipment, or whether it was passing satellite, but clues so far that the signal lasted for around three hours and it was actually slow moving. 
they don't seem to think it was an actual satellite because of the wave band um, of radio signals that it was transmitting. I mean, the, the fact that we got a signal back is interesting, whether it is, you know, interference from our own equipment sending signals out or whether it is something more. Yeah, I mean, they're still still looking into it because they uh, recently said that they've, um, they've looked into it a little bit more and it's using an unusual, like I said, the unusual wave band that satellites are not supposed to use. So whether it's something else, a, a secret satellite of some sort that's just got accidentally picked up that but they can't declassify that information or what. But it's definitely really interesting. But um, if we send a message back, obviously it'll take uh, quite a while to get a reply if, if, if it's actually uh, a signal of any kind or whether it's just a bunch of stars just absolutely exploding and sending radio, radio waves and all sorts across the uh, galaxy. It's going to be an interesting story to follow, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I'm keeping my eye on this one and I'll bring you more updates as, as it comes along in the, the new year. And remember when I mentioned that SpaceX do not actually have the ability to launch the Super Heavy Booster uh, just a month or two ago due to the FAA license and environmental regulations? Well, they finally catch seems to be catching up with all that. Um, we've seen uh, around on the news that the FAA environmental review on the Starship and the Super Heavy Booster, it's all under review. And it, they've actually opened it up to the public to submit information, which is quite interesting. Um, so I, I kind of guessed this before it actually got announced because um, uh, it was up on the FAA, FAA website that um, the current license doesn't actually cover everything that SpaceX are doing right now or potentially doing in the coming months. So it's quite interesting that they'll open it up to the public to put their, uh, their input on that. Well, I think it's quite important to have public's opinion as the nearest cities are quite close and, well, the noise from Booster could break windows on South Padre Island. So my guess is that they will have some uh, test flights, but maybe the real orbital flights will be from the ocean. Yeah, I think the orbital flights they will have to uh, evacuate the area more because people have already pre- pre-warned and said that when the full full size super heavy booster along the starship on top there 15 15 to 16 million pounds of thrust depending on the the end result of the raptor engines it's just going to knock out windows and all sorts so those all those little uh, villages close by that everyone's in at the moment they'd be definitely under threat from the uh, the just literally the, the force of that uh, that rocket taking off and maybe breaking a few windows and god knows what else from the force of it yeah and I, I think the exclusion area is about 15 kilometers or 10 miles. Yeah, I mean, it's still a considerable, considerable uh, area and everything, but um, with it being such a larger rocket, the Super Heavy Booster, I imagine it's, uh, when we think back to SM4 when that exploded, I think it'll be a hell of a lot of a, a massive uh, bang, if you like, <laughs> or explosion. Uh, if the Super Heavy Booster went up in flames, um, quite a bit of a, a deadly explosion that one i did watch a video the other day where they compared um the starship to the russian n1 rocket because when the n1 rocket blew that was the biggest non-nuclear explosion ever created and that was a yield of one to seven megatons and the starship holds twice that fuel yeah so I've, i read that yeah and i just thought i just thought oh my god if that thing goes sideways at any point it's just going to be a ridiculous 
explosion and it won't just wipe out a portion of the <laughs> a portion of the launch pad it'll just obliterate it i think but depending on how well they built it who knows <laughs> i mean if we saw a uh rud on the pad with a fully loaded starship and super heavy it would be an environmental disaster yeah but we have seen the down at book particularly are building the bunkers of sorts to protect critical hardware and everything um we saw some of the cranes um either they're going to move it or they have moved some of the bunkers that protect some of the critical hardware that feeds some of the fuel fuel lines to the rockets and stuff like that i mean so spacex do have a good safety record you know they do have ruts and they do have mistakes but generally speaking they act on safety more than say launch cadence they're not rushing to get something to space and skipping the safety element or the, the safety aspects you know it when we've seen previous uh, variants of the starship rud we've seen disappointment from the spacex team and, and the community and i think a lot of people just assume that elon musk's trying to throw hardware out as quickly as possible uh, in order to achieve his goal when realistically we've seen a lot of stops in closure dates and cancellations and stuff because there's a small safety aspect that they can't quite figure out the, the risk of ignoring. So they'll shut down for a week and then they'll get back on it and then they'll post new closure dates and we tend to see testing activity. Yeah, yeah, they're super cautious on everything, uh, more than what people realise. I mean, when they do all those tests and everything down at Boca Chica, there's no one on site whatsoever, other than little the little... Uh... The little uh, robotic dog. Was it Spot? The uh, robotic Dan- Boston the, Dynamics. Boston Dynamics robotic dog. Yeah, yeah. And uh, speaking of Elon, we've got a, a recent tweet just to for- throw a spanner in the works there of the Super Heavy Booster. Um, he tweeted out that we're going to try and catch the Super Heavy Booster with the launch tower arm using the grid fins to take the load which is uh, blowing a few people's minds and uh, everyone's trying to fathom out how that works. So far, I think I've seen probably two really good animations. One of those was in a Marcus House video and the other one was on Twitter and I'm going to be terrible and say I can't remember the name of the artist in either of those cases, but I will find those links out. I know Eric Tech Space, who we've had on the show, I believe, uh, he had uh, he's put his uh, ideas in there. Um, and I, Elon actually came back to him because they had a almost like a suspended, if you imagine, a C-shaped frame where the booster comes down and moves into the C-shaped frame, then rolls itself down. But then Elon replied to him and said, "It's you've got to keep the top open because the rocket's not going to move sideways. It's The rocket's just going to come straight down and it's going to land on the platform. So I thought it was interesting that he's actually interacting with these guys who are trying to fathom out the problem. But at the same time, I imagine it's Elon splurting things out and then he can get the guys out there to conjure up the 3D animations. To and I'm assuming that a lot of this stuff's helping Elon figure out whether things are possible as well. Yeah, I would think so. Our 3D animators have gotten so good that they probably do just as good animations as the SpaceX team. Just a shame they don't get paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> I obviously get um, credit from all their supporters and everything like that, obviously, but um, just uh, I'd love to see SpaceX and the likes of take 
take advantage and give credit to a lot of these guys out there on Twitter and YouTube and everywhere. They put a hell of a lot of work into all this stuff. And I'm surprised, I'm surprised they don't uh, use, use these guys a lot more to basically promote their hardware systems and the rockets and everything else. Well, for SpaceX, it's kind of the people do it for free. So for them, it's just okay. And also we spotted uh, Raptor number 49 on the pad, getting fitted to SN9, ready for a static fire, possibly just in the next coming days, ahead of the another test flight. Nice. So it's just saying it's exciting stuff to know that they're going to be launching hardware very soon. Yeah, definitely. And they've also got SN10, which has just literally been, uh, the nose cone's been mounted to the main body of that one. And I believe it's got uh, fins and aerons or whatever you, or ailerons. <laughs> Elon runs or whatever you want to call it. (laughs) (laughs) So whatever happens to SN9, successful or not, we've got SN10 literally weeks away from falling on from SN9. And a lot of people are speculating we'll have two rockets on side by side on the uh, test stands. Yeah, we don't really need to speculate because Elon replied to RGV Aerial's photograph with two starships that there will be two. Yeah, and I mean, there's a lot of exciting things going down at Boca Chica. And obviously, later on this year, we've got the likes of uh, ULA's Vulcan Centaur rocket coming online and potentially New Glenn. We haven't heard a peep from uh, Blue Origin or anything like that on uh, on that rocket. So we'll just wait and see what comes, hopefully within the coming months with that, uh, whether they'll make any announcements of when they're going to showcase the rocket because I imagine they'll want to show the rocket off before they actually test it and everything and potentially blow it up to smithereens if anything goes wrong. Yeah. Still about SN9, what would be your predictions on the launch date? Um, SN9, I believe it probably should... It's all, all dependent on those engines if the, and the fuel mix. If it's cause the only issue before, I believe, was they didn't quite flip it early enough uh, on the descent. Um, that might flip. They'll probably do the same pro- flight profile as before. The launch, the flip, cutting up the engines off as it goes up to the apogee, flops down, lands. But I think the only different difference they'll do is maybe flip it a bit earlier so they can have a little bit more time to do that landing procedure and fingers crossed the engines behave themselves this time so it can actually slow down enough without obliterating the entire thing. And we we'll, might get to see the landing legs attempt to do their job, but I think the landing legs might fail, fail them again. Yeah, and... Scott Manley actually uh, did a video uh, talking about the new landing idea and also talked about the pressure problems of the header tanks. And for SN9, they might be using helium instead of autogenous uh, pressure system. So that could help with the pressure. But yeah, I think we'll see uh, some changes in the, the header tank, definitely, because I, I saw that video from Scott Manley and everything. Um, but there's still a few alterations to do on the rocket itself, because it's still using the cold thrusters as far as I'm aware. So when they switch to the hot thrusters, which are located on the nose and elsewhere to push the rocket uh, nose nose cone forward side and con- control the roll slightly, um, the when once they use those hot thrusters, they'll have a lot more control. Not that they necessarily need it, but they'll have a lot more access control for the uh, 
on the RCS thrusters and everything. So we'll yet to see the improvements on that. Probably SN15 for that one, possibly uh, slightly different uh, internal uh, design. Yeah, for sure. Uh, looks like we have a listener question from one of our patrons, Stinger NSW. He's asking, will the repairs to the landing pad delay SN9 from launching sooner rather than later? I don't think they will. I think the landing pad took minimal damage, and I don't think it was a structural issue, more just a ring imprinted in the top. Yeah, I think the I think the landing pad was barely untouched. Although it did come down with a bit of a thud and explode and everything, I believe it'll just be more of a case of getting all the debris out of the way and everything, and just quickly checking it's okay. It's not too badly damaged. Because um, I imagine that 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 landing pad con- the concrete on that's probably a good six to six to ten feet thick. I imagine just just to purely a Make sure it stabilizes the rocket on on landing and 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 B basically not incinerate once if there's an explosion. Because they're used to building these things, for example, with the Falcon Nine and everything, and all the all the stuff associated with Pad Thirty Nine A's. They've had a lot of experience from all that, so I imagine they they know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, uh, but actually, did you notice that uh, recently they took a bit of the pad uh, out? They I think they cut the part where SN8 landed. So there's a quite a big of, bit of block missing from the landing pad. Yeah, yeah. So so I mean there's still in an earlier video they did still show the full thing and everything, just added a few extra bits in there. But I've noticed recently they took a little bit of the video out of there and everything. Fair enough if they want to do that. If they want to do that, that's it's, it's their own thing. But it's a bit strange that they've done that, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe they just want to make sure the pad is uh, smooth all the way. Yeah, and we also uh, on over on Twitter because Elon's very active on there. Um, hinted at that they might be keeping the nose cone from SN8 as a little shrine of sorts. But whether they will or not, I don't know. Whether it's how badly damaged it is, we've seen it sitting there for quite a considerable time. So whether it gets scrapped, whether they keep it, I don't know. I would think so that they would actually move it from landing pad somewhere else. Yeah, and we've got that mysterious um, concrete display stand of sorts just away from the test stands and landing pad and everything. I don't know if you've seen that yourself, Miko. It's essentially a small square. Well, I'll say small. It's quite large, really, to, con- to contain or sit one of the boosters or one of the starships on. Just a small square of concrete just set off close to the road and everyone's speculating to what it is. There's no frame of such or anything there yet, so whether they're going to sit the first successful landing starship on there and just set it. Because eventually, once all this, the development's almost complete, the, I imagine they're going to move the starship program to a more secure area and they're, they're building cafes and all sorts down there at the moment. Obviously, future development for once the program is fully active. Could it be for the nose cone? I don't think so. It was. Um, it looked very similar to the orbital launch stand platform like the concrete um platform that was all built on um i'll bring you an image over later on but it's essentially a small square platform that looks very similar to the orbital test stand or launch stand if you like um but it was quite close to the road so a lot of people are speculating and it won't actually be a launch stand it might just be a display stand for the very first success successful uh starship or booster or maybe both and they might just stack it all up 
side of the road just for every basically like a monument for everyone to see, I think. Yeah. In a way they've already done that with a little hopper and just attached all sorts to it. And I think they're using it essentially as a, a storage tank as well, which is a bit hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that could definitely be. I mean a lot of people are overlooking the fact that this is the next step towards something and you know like the general population are dismissing the fact that things like SN8's nose cone are important like I I personally would love nothing more than to see that thing hanging at Hawthorne beside the dragon capsule they've got there yeah that would be a great way to show the success of SN8 on every live stream definitely (laughs) because I mean it it was successful despite what the mainstream media and and stuff are saying you know it, it proved a lot of things for spacex it proved that belly flop maneuver it proved that they could actually get something that big off the ground which is surprising all in itself you know it, it, it proved it, it played pathfinder for a lot of important things to come the big thing this year i think we'll see from down a book chica is obviously sn9 and 10 doing the another test launch um sn9's predicted to go maybe go a bit higher and the landing and everything, whether that will be successful. But um, also, we're seeing the lunar version of Starship sitting there. Well, part of it sitting there. Not a lot going on so far. So we yet to see a presentation from Elon and the just well, just Elon in general and the lunar Starship. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting one to see. I'm really excited to see that because uh, obviously we've seen Dynamics, we've seen. Uh, Blue Origins contraption of sorts. It looks a bit of a mess, that one. But um, I'm excited to see the Lunar Starship. We obviously know vaguely what it's going to look like from obviously all the visual mock-ups everyone's done and everything. But um, it would be great to see uh, SpaceX's take on it and everyone really wants to see what the inside looks like because the amount of room in that thing is pretty staggering. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you mentioned Blue Origin there. Um, I know it... It's not necessarily in the cover of this when you recorded the intro, but did anybody see that the uh, autonomous drone ship that Blue Origin have got its name this week? I didn't catch that. No, what's what's the uh, what the finally named the ship? They've named it after Jeff's mother, Jacqueline. Ah, that's good. Uh, good uh, nod, nod to her and everything. That's great. That. It shows a step forward in their progressively slow attempt at getting giant rockets to orbit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, we've seen apparently we're going to see a lot of uh, New Shepard this year, do some more test launches and everything. Because obviously, in the past year, two years, we've only seen one launch from them actually. And so, the little New Shepard rocket they've promised that they said they're going to at least launch three or four times this year, which isn't a lot when you consider SpaceX have launched over 50. So, quite, uh, quite staggering, but they're slowly getting there. They'll, they'll be an orbital company eventually. Yeah. How about we make a few guesses for this year? Uh, What would you think would be the first company to launch humans, either Blue Origin or Virgin Galactic? Will will they launch this year? I think out of the two, Virgin Galactic is more likely to have a human um, space flight, but that's just my opinion. I think Virgin Galactic... Providing they get their engine problems fixed, 
because they seem to have a teething problem with Launcher 1 and obviously Virgin Galactic's base plane, which is names just operate brain fog right now. Um, I, think, I know it's Unity something. I can't remember the name of the plane. <laughs> yeah, me neither. But I, I would also go with Virgin Galactic. I mean, they, they have... They always have the pilot on board. I mean, both um, Virgin Galactic and um, Blue Origin are both reasonably close to certifying the systems for humans going on there. Not just test pilots and everything, actually people from the, well, probably from the space community first or other astronauts just to prove it out before they let the general public even consider going on there. But they're not too far away, to be honest, because they're both have done basic test flights um, previous in previous years and everything, so they're not actually too far away, really. Yeah, and second guess, will Starship go orbital this year and when? I would say yes, by the middle of the year at the latest. I'd say back end of the year, because they've got to get this environmental review done and approved by the FAA Environmental Agency. But secondly, they've got to prove out the booster uh, first because Elon said it would be a good few months before the first booster is actually going to basically hop or whatever they decide to do with that, whether they just decide to go with it. Um, Because I imagine the first one might attempt to land in similar to the Falcon 9-ish, just landing straight out on the pad without any support as such. But I can't imagine that going too well. Yeah, uh, I I would go with the end of the year, maybe some October time frame. And Stinger NSW is having a good comment for our Virgin Galactic New Shepard competition, uh, saying Tom Cruise will beat them all. Definitely. There's also the, the Russians are clo- hot on the heels of Tom Cruise, I think, with uh, one of their one of their actors from over in uh, Russia. Cause I think they're uh, eagerly to trying to beat. Uh, Tom Cruise up to the International Space Station to film some sort of movie show. I don't know what they want to do, but I think either way, whenever Tom Cruise gets there, it's just going to be crazy. <laughs> I think people like Tom Cruise, although we dismiss it and we have a chuckle because we're big rocket nerds, I think at that moment that Tom Cruise is aboard the ISS, it's going to open up the idea of going to space for more people. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Like prior to that, we've seen astronauts and um, payload specialists, mission specialists, and the like going up to the International Space Station. But we haven't actually seen very many private passengers that you know are, are recognizable faces to the masses. And I think when a lot of people that are just in the in the general population see somebody like Tom Cruise aboard the International Space Station, it sort of opens your mind up that hold on a second, this isn't just astronauts going there. It's not just mission specialists going there and the the most elite people at NASA that are flying up to the space station, but actually Tom Cruise, somebody I've seen in movies, is going. Yeah, and it's just people having that connection with people who have watched over the years on the TV and movie screen and everything like that, um, and then seeing them in space, it's just like, oh, my God, I, I aspire to – people aspire to be movie stars and stuff like that, but now Tom Cruise is in space. It won't just be, I want to be a movie star, it'll be – I want to be up there myself on the International Space Station or the moon or wherever wherever it'll end up going kind of thing. Yeah, seeing Tom Cruise in space on a movie will, well, it will make many of the people in the world 
actually know about SpaceX. I would say less than 10% of people in the world actually know SpaceX is flying people to the space. Yeah, definitely. Because you, you always have that situation where, I, I mean, myself, I, I talk, to, talk to some people, I've got a job outside of, of this, believe it or not. Um, I, I mentioned things to them, I was like, oh, Starship, this, that, and the other. And it's like, I, I thought they already uh, fly in that one. I was like, no. <laughs> so it's just, it's just one of those things, like, you, we, although we're complete space, space nerds and stuff like that and space nuts, um, we're all into it. We know what's happening day in, day out. So we, we sometimes mention things to some other people and they're just completely unaware about it. But, I mean, it's fair enough. Everyone's into their own thing. But like you say, Miko, probably only like 10, 10, 10% of people are aware of generally space and things that are going on and the massive things happening at the moment. And that other 90% are completely aware. And to get that other 90% interested in space, science, whatever it may be, it'd be absolutely fantastic. Absolutely. Is there any other questions or anything like that before we wrap up? I think that's it. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode. I've been Ryan from the Space Update. I've been Mikko, the host of Deep Dive Fridays. I've been another space nut, and I'm wishing you all the best for 2021. And a big thank you to all our Patreon supporters. Uh, Sonny Oscuro, what about it? Jixan, Sebastian, Gaio, Palak. Gary, sorry about that if I'm butchering your name. Framrick, Susie, Marco. If you'd like to support what we do here on Total Space Network, gain access to exclusive content and early access to episodes like these guys, head over to patreon.com slash totalspace. And where else can we find us, Miko? Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at totalspacenet. You can also find us on Instagram, YouTube and on YouTube we actually started doing live streams and we actually have the latest interview with Graham Lau that's with video and you can of course find us on your favorite podcast platforms yeah like subscribe and everything on YouTube I've been Ryan from the Space Update and we'll catch you next week for our latest news updates